Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Today is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in what I'm starting to call Happy Family Friday. Hey, Happy Family Friday to you. And welcome to a bunch of new listeners. Thank you for being here. And know that, in a way, we've been praying for you since before you arrived. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the Bible and every word of God's revelation of himself and consider our own life and work stories in light of that, including celebrating with one listener and supporter that she has a promising new relationship and praying with another as she deals with difficulty at church, and thanking you for enabling me to spend time with mentoring young men in addiction recovery that I get to do. And one other thing, and I know it's not huge, but you can get my latest book digitally for free at the ministry's homepage, forthehope.org. And if you want a hard copy, you can find that at Amazon too, and link on the homepage there. And finally, if you want to help out in one small way, would you consider paying it forward by liking our Facebook page or giving a review or a rating in your favorite podcast app? Thank you. And let me know how I can pray for you. Hey, in our New Testament segment today, we continue to see Jesus's identity revealed, including an important detail that even secular Historians of the first century acknowledge, which is that people worshipped Jesus as God. This is recognized even in secular literature outside of the Bible. It's an important point. Matthew chapter 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. This is John the Baptist, he told his servants. He's been raised from the dead, and that's why his miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had arrested John, chained him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, since John had been telling him, It's not lawful for you to have her. Though Herod wanted to kill John, he feared the crowd since they regarded John as a prophet. When Herod's birthday celebration came, Herodias' daughter danced before them and pleased Herod, so he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she answered, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Although the king regretted it, he commanded that it be granted because of his oaths and his guests. So he sent orders and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, who carried it off to her mother. And then his disciples came, removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported to Jesus. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted, and it is already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. 
He took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up twelve baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat, get this friends, then those in the boat, worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to shore at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they alerted the whole vicinity and brought to him all who were sick. They begged him that he might, that they might only touch the end of his robe. And as many as touched it were healed. Matthew chapter 14. Oh, so much good stuff in that one. Hey, um, I'm going to come back to some of this at the end, but I just want to say this because there's so many places to comment there, right? Peter, what did Peter do? He took his eyes off Jesus, right? Notice the power of the wind <laughs> and oh, that's when he began to sink. But there's this powerful piece of evidence in making the case that eyewitnesses of Jesus' time like the ones in the boat, had seen something that caused them to respond in a way that would have been radical, right? Worshiping Jesus, unless, in fact, Jesus is the Son of God. And unlike other biblical stories of angels or even Paul going, no, don't worship us, Jesus accepts their worship. It's a really important point in the Bible. In our Old Testament segment today, this is our next to last day in the book of Ezekiel. And to be fair, it's kind of tedious compared to how it's going to wrap up tomorrow. But even so, listen for a moment of a promised future prince and how that leads to an exhortation of current leadership. Ezekiel chapter 45. When you divide the land by lot as an inheritance, set aside a donation to the Lord, a holy portion of the land, eight and a half miles long and six and two-thirds miles wide, and this entire region will be holy. 
In this area will be a square section for the sanctuary, 875 feet by 875 feet with 87 and a half feet of open space all around it. And from this holy portion, you will measure off an area eight and a third miles long and three and a third miles wide in which the sanctuary, the most holy place, will stand. It will be a holy area of the land to be used by the priests who minister in the sanctuary, who approach to serve the Lord, and it will be a place for their houses as well as a holy area for the sanctuary. There will be another eight and a third miles long and three and a third miles wide for the Levites who minister in the temple. It will be for their possession for towns to live in. As the property of the city set aside an area one and two thirds miles wide by eight and a third miles long, adjacent to the holy donation of land, it will be for the whole house of Israel. And the prow- and the prince will have the area on each side of the holy donation of land and the city's property adjacent to the holy donation and the city's property stretching to the west on the west side and to the east on the east side. Its length will correspond to one of the tribal portions from the western boundary to the eastern boundary. This will be his land as a possession in Israel. My princes will no longer oppress my people, but give the rest of the land to the house of Israel according to their tribes. This is what the Lord God says. You have gone too far, princes of Israel. Put away violence and depression and do what is just and right. Put an end to your evictions of my people. This is the declaration of the Lord God. You are to give honest scales, an honest dry measure, and an honest liquid measure. The dry measure and the liquid measure will be uniform with the liquid measure containing five and a half gallons and the dry measure holding half a bushel. Their measurement will be a tenth of the standard larger capacity measure. The shekel will weigh 20 gears. Your mina will equal 60 shekels. Hmm, there you go. Honesty in business. Not underhanded, backhanded taxation. You with me? The people's contribution to the sacrifices. This is the contribution you are to offer. Three quarts from six bushels of wheat and three quarts from five bushels of barley. The quota of oil in liquid measures will be 1% of every core. The core equals 10 liquid measures or one standard larger capacity measure since 10 liquid measures equal one standard larger capacity measure. And the quota from the flock is one animal out of every 200 from the well-watered pastures of Israel. These are for the grain offerings, burnt offerings, and fellowship offerings to make atonement for the people. This is the declaration of the Lord God. All the people of the land must take part in this contribution for the prince in Israel. Then the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings for the festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths for all the appointed times of the house of Israel will be the prince's responsibility. He will provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, and fellowship offerings to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. Pause. Slightly typological or symbolic here. Who makes the sin offering? Hmm. Yeah. This is what the Lord God says. In the first month, on the first day of the month, you are to take a young, unblemished bull and purify the sanctuary. The priest is to take some of the blood from the sin offering and apply it to the temple doorposts, the four corners of the altar's ledge, and the doorposts of the gate of the inner court. You are to do the same thing on the seventh day of the month for everyone who sins unintentionally or through ignorance. 
In this way, you will make atonement for the people, for the temple, by the way, is unintentional or sin in ignorance uh, still guilty? Yeah, it's still sin. There you go. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you are to celebrate the Passover, a festival of seven days during which unleavened bread will be eaten. And on that day, the prince, the prince will provide a bull as a sin offering on behalf of himself and all the people of the land. During the seven days of the festival, he will provide seven bulls and seven rams without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord on each of the seven days, along with a male goat each day for a sin offering. He will also provide a grain offering on half of half a bushel per bull and half a bushel per ram, along with a gallon of oil for every bushel, for every half bushel. I knew you caught me on that one. And at the festival that begins on the 15th day of the seventh month, he will provide the same things for seven days, the same sin offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, and oil. Chapter 46, Sacrifices at Appointed Times. This is what the Lord God says. The gate of the inner court that faces east is to be closed during the six days of work, but it will be opened on the Sabbath day and open on the day of the new moon. Pause. Remember who enters from the east? Mm-hmm. Open on the Sabbath. There we go. The prince should enter from the outside by way of the gate's portico and stand at the gate's doorpost while the priests sacrifice his burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He will bow in worship at the gate's threshold and then depart, but the gate is not to be closed until evening. The people of the land will also bow in worship before the Lord at the entrance of that gate on the Sabbaths and the new moons. The burnt offering that the prince presents to the Lord on the Sabbath day is to be six unblemished lambs and an unblemished ram. The grain offering will be half a bushel with the ram. The grain offering with the lambs will be whatever he wants to give, as well as a gallon of oil for every half bushel. On the day of the new moon, the burnt offering is to be a young, unblemished bull as well as six lambs and a ram without blemish. He will provide a grain offering of half a bushel with the bull, half a bushel with the ram, and whatever he can afford with the lambs, together with a gallon of oil for every half bushel. When the prince enters, he is to go in by way of the gate's portico and go out the same way. When the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed times, whoever enters by the way of the north gate to worship is to go out by way of the south gate, and whoever enters by the way of the south gate is to go out by way of the north gate. No one may return through the gate by which they entered, but is to go out through the opposite gate. When the people, by the way, do you think God cares about space? Uh, I think there's more to that whole in one side and out the other thing, right? Probably having to do with, you know, meeting God in the middle. Um, but we'll tackle that another time. When the people enter, the prince will enter with them. And when they leave, he will leave. At the festivals and appointed times, the grain offering will be half a bushel with the bull, half a bushel with the ram, and whatever he wants to give with the lambs, along with a gallon of oil for every half bushel. When the prince makes a freewill offering, whether a burnt offering or a fellowship offering as a freewill offering to the Lord, the gate that faces east is to be opened for him. He is to offer his burnt offering and fellowship offering just as he does on the Sabbath day. Then he'll go out and the gate is to be closed after he leaves. You are to offer an unblemished year old male lamb as a daily burnt offering to the Lord. You will offer it every morning. You are also to prepare a grain offering every morning along with it, three quarts with one third of a gallon of oil to be to moisten the fine flour, a grain offering to the Lord. This is a permanent statute to be observed regularly. They will offer the lamb, the grain offering, and the oil every morning as a regular burnt offering. 
All right, two more short sections. Transfer of royal lands. This is what the Lord God says. If the prince gives a gift to each of his sons as their inheritance, it will belong to his sons. It will become their property by inheritance. But if he gives a gift from his inheritance to one of his servants, it will belong to that servant until the year of freedom when it will revert to the prince. His inheritance belongs only to his sons. It is theirs. The prince must not take any of the people's inheritance, evicting them from their property. He is to provide an inheritance for his sons from his own property so that none of my people will be displaced from his own property. Notice the act of grace there. That's beautiful. All right, final section, the temple kitchens. I knew you were waiting for this one. Then he brought me through the entrance that was was at the side of the gate into the priest's holy chambers, which faced north. I saw a place there at the far western end, and he said to me, This is the place where the priests will boil the guilt offering and the sin offering and where they will bake the grain offering so that they do not bring them into the outer court and transmit holiness to the people. Next he brought me into the outer court and led me past its four corners, and there was a separate court in each of its corners. In the four corners of the outer court there were enclosed courts, 70 feet long by 52 and a half feet wide, All four corner areas had the same dimensions. There was a stone wall around the inside of them, around the four of them, with ovens built at the base of the walls on all its sides. He said to me, These are the kitchens where those who minister at the temple will cook the people's sacrifices. Mmm. little barbecue in heaven. little barbecue in heaven. And I'm pretty sure we get to eat bacon in heaven too, don't you? Say yes, just nod. Give me a hallelujah. If you can't say amen, say ouch. (laughs) All right. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to have much of a closing reflection, but we do have a a psalm to get through that's just a little longer today. So would you pray this with me? We haven't done this for a few days. Pray this Psalm 135 with me. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, you servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for it is delightful. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his treasured possession. For I know that the Lord is great. Our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. He causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind from his storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both people and animals. He sent signs and wonders against you, Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his officials. He struck down many nations and slaughtered mighty kings. Zion, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. He gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his his people, Israel. Lord, your name endures forever, your reputation, Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have, have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Indeed, there is no breath in their mouths. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. 
House of Israel, bless the Lord. House of Aaron, bless the Lord. House of Levi, bless the Lord. You who revere the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion. He dwells in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. My friends, did you notice in that exhortation or exaltation of God that one of the qualities of God was command over the weather? Hmm. He calmed the winds and the seas and they worshipped him as God. I love you. Amen. Amen.